Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Hey kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better, stronger, faster. Your host, Andrew and Michael Leyland. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. I was wondering if you were going to join it. Michael's stuffing his face with a tart. A Hi. pop tart. Mm. Mm. And not one of the... Uh, name a current pop group. <laughs> that went well, didn't it? Thank you. <laughs> At least you tried. Girls are loud. Are they current... I wouldn't know. Oh, uh, yeah. One of them. He's not stuffing his face with one of girls aloud. He's stuffing it with a... Is that a chocolate Pop-Tart? It is. I think they're ghastly. Oh, the chocolate ones aren't as good. Uh, which are the good ones, then, in, the, in your I opinion? Pre- I prefer the strawberry ones. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're all awful, but that's just me. I don't like sweet stuff in a moment. I like a piece of toast. Or a bacon balm. Can't no. go wrong with a bacon balm. Couldn't be asked making any bacon. No, neither could I. That's why I've just got a, a cup of tea as we record on this lovely morn for the first Hey Kids Comics of 2015. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year, everyone. <laughs> well done. <laughs> it's like we planned this, it is. isn't it? Which is odd because we haven't planned this at all. This is the episode, uh, the annual episode, where we talk about what stuff we got for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And as such, it's one of our favourite episodes of the year because we don't do anything for it. We don't write notes of any kind. There is no introduction, hence this rambling hello. There's nothing to talk about, is there? It's just a big stack of goodies that we were purchased by all. Well, mine's bigger than Michael's. Your contribution to the show is uh, is going to be quite minimal this year, isn't it? I do have other things, they're just not here. They're just not here. Do you wish to tell the lovely listeners why your uh, your pile is not as big as mine? Um, oh, oh, okay. Um, so I, I wanted a video game for the PlayStation 4, The Witcher 3. Um, and the special edition of such is quite expensive. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, because, well, we have no money. <laughs> the, only, the only time we can get uh, a, a presents that are expensive, things that are expensive, is Christmas and birthdays. So um, I asked for the pre-order for Christmas because it only came out in February so I wouldn't get much on Christmas but my game would only come out in February so I was fine it was I was alright with the wait and then they delayed it until is it May? May <laughs> it'll nearly be your birthday yeah I just have to wait another five months so Angela being the jokester that she is yeah wrapped up an empty box for him so we had something to unwrap on Christmas Day. You felt like one of those kids in 1977, didn't you? Yeah, and yeah. Star Wars was uh, big, but they had no toys and everyone got an empty box. Now I know my name's, my game's coming, so... Yeah. <laughs> Did you enjoy your empty box? Well, I, I, I desperately looked inside it as though there was something... <laughs> as though we'd magically gone into the future. Yeah, Plucked just... your game from May of 2015 and brought it back with us so oh, you could have a copper. expected anything in there. Okay. Well, uh, first of all, somebody has sent us in a drawing. Oh, okay. It's a very lovely drawing of my Doctor Doom bobblehead. It's actually quite impressive mm-hmm. as a drawing. And this was sent by Anya Leyland. Who says, Merry Christmas, a bit late. Yeah. Maybe she should have wrote Happy New Year, which would have been more appropriate. But it's a lovely drawing, and we appreciate listeners sending us their art, yeah. don't we? We do. We will have to put that up on the wall somewhere. Um, we're going to kick off with the usual. I get these every year. Everything here is from Angela, unless I otherwise mention it, because she is awesome. I always get the Walking Dead hardcovers, and this is book ten of that series uh, I don't know where we're up to because I haven't read one since she bought me one last year so I'm a bit foggy in where we're up to do you know what issues are in this? 
Oh, It'll no. be in the Indicia somewhere, won't it? Ah, here you go. Issues 109 through 120. So I don't know where they're up to in regards to monthly publishing. But I've got the latest Walking Dead hardcover, which I can read, you know, when I'm lounging around doing very little. Which is most of the time. It is. It's not, it's not like I'm busy. Anything. And Invincible hardcover volume 9, which covers issues 97 through 108. Is that exactly the same? What? Has that brought them both no. up to date? Where was Walking Dead? What did I just say? It's amazing isn't it? I forget what I just talked about. Yeah, Walking Dead is 120, and this is now up to 108, so they're not that far behind each other. I no. thought there was a significant gap between Invincible and Walking Dead. No. Oh, right. Okay. Fair enough. We like Invincible, don't we? I'm not entirely convinced that I've, I've read Volume 8, which I do know I have, so I will dig it down. I think I got Volume 8 for my birthday. Because this is picking up right where Volume 8 left off. So I better not read this if I've not read Volume 8. Um, the art's changed as we peruse this book. The art's always been... Well, not always, but the art's been like this for a while. I know it's... Um, what's his name? Corey. Ryan Otley. Ryan Otley. Corey started it with him, didn't he? Corey Walker. But uh, leafing through it, it looked significantly different to me. But you informed me that this was due to the colouring. Yeah. Didn't it? It's been like this since around the uh, Viltrumite War. Right, okay. It's as violent as ever, as I flick through the book. <laughs> Lots of people getting their eyes gouged out and uh, limbs ripped off, which is uh, did a good for the walking, not for the walking dead, for Invincible. I mean, I understand there are, there are piercing problems with it on occasion, but I like it. Mm-hmm. I like Invincible. I think it's uh, it's a fun book for most of the time, despite its its high level of blood and gore. Not uh, quite up there with The Walking Dead. I think the blue and gore up there uh, is even gorier than The Walking Dead. Yeah, why? What, because it's colour and it's more visceral? Or because it's it has a more realistic tinge to it than The Walking Dead does between zombies and stuff? Yeah, it's not zombies. With The Walking Dead, you kind of expect it to be that level of gore and gruesomeness. Mm. You don't expect that from a superhero comic. No, but he's never really pulled his punches with Invincible, has he? Yeah. I love you eating on a podcast. Well, I'm trying to hurry up. <laughs> Maybe we should have waited. Well, I'll tell you what we will do then. While we are waiting for Michael to stuff his face with Pop-Tart, which member of Girls Aloud would it be, if you had the choice? I don't know any. Uh, right, not the redhead with the pasty face. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's the only member of Girls Aloud I know. We're going to squeeze an email in there while Michael stuffs his face with Tart. Party! Like it's 1989, which is from Chris Franklin. Hello, Chris. You love that I wave, don't you? I do, yeah. <laughs> Superman in exile, says Chris. At the time, I wasn't a huge fan of this storyline. I wasn't a big fan of Superman killing the Phantom Zoners, especially as the way Byrne portrayed the deed was, end of the issue, he kills him, I'm gone, bye! And then he walked off and left that mess for others to clean up. Having said that, I now appreciate the story and the way that Stern, Gamble, Ordway and the others addressed the massive... Wa- the uh, WTF moment Burn left them with after Supes came back from his little trip that was my favourite period of Superman books ever fantastic stuff that's um, that where George Perez came came on board and all the stuff with Maxima yeah I liked all of that and isn't that when they did the Kryptonite Man story Michael Bailey has all this in his head better than I do doesn't he yeah but I think that's the Kryptonite Man story as well which was also really good I liked that as well that was a good time before the death not that the death was bad, I quite enjoyed the death of Superman. You like the death of Superman, don't you? Oh. No, you know, <laughs> he's dead good, <laughs> not in that way. Put more in a, yeah, it's a good story, that. Mm-hmm. Good art as well. Chris continues, Detective 601, I interrupted Michael Eaton again. <laughs> so that's why his, his answer's more so because... You sound like Batman. <laughs> you are a jabber. Detective 601. Well done. That tickled me. Detective 601. I enjoyed all of Grant and Brayfogle's work. Brayfogle was a breath of fresh air on Batman, I thought. In many ways, he was the love child of Dick Sprang and Neil Adams. The expressive cartooniness of Sprang and the dark power of Adams. Some of Grant's stuff was out-and-out weird in a sort of Bob Haney on even stronger acid way, but it never felt incredibly out of continuity like Haney's stuff. I like a Batman who can relate to other human beings. I miss that guy. Tech was the solid Batman book during their time on it, and even when he moved over to Shadow 
of the bat this continued and as we record this which isn't far from going up to be honest with you this one's uh, always quite down and dirty we got word through facebook that norm brayfogle who was the artist on that issue had suffered a stroke and we here at hey kids towers wish him nothing but the best and hope for a speedy recovery because i always liked brayfogle's stuff on batman i thought he was uh, he was very stylized but there's nothing wrong with that. Neil Adams is stylized. Mm-hmm. Jim Sterling's stylized. Kirby's stylized out the wazoo, isn't he? Mm-hmm. But all of them are, are capable and, and entertaining comic book artists. So nothing but good wishes for Norm and hope that he makes a, a full and speedy recovery. Chris continues, Amazing Spider-Man issue 318. I really loved this run. I'm McFarlane's art at the time. I do think Peter and MJ were never better handled as a couple. Remember that MJ's career was ruined and their apartment was lost after MJ scorned the millionaire stalker who made it all possible. As for Scorpion's mask, well, that trope's been done in animation, most famously on Batman Beyond. How does that work? I don't know, but it's cool in comics. Yeah. Do you not think? I loved especially in that one that we covered that it actually went in his mouth. The mask actually went in his mouth. And there was always the thought, I think we may have mentioned this on the show, so there may be some repetition or deviation here, so we have to yell Mornington Crescent. But the, the, when the Green Goblin puts the mask on, it's like it all just becomes his face. And I don't know, I, I would have loved to have seen them pull that off in the film. Well, like maybe, the CG. maybe he just goes around it and he had to paint in the face like Batman does with his eyes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but then when he takes his mask off, suddenly that black eyeline is gone. Yeah. Which is, you know, he should have just left that, shouldn't he? Yeah, I put a black eyeliner on, want to make something of her? I'm still going to kick your ass. Maybe that's why in the comics he has the white eyes. Maybe. So he doesn't have to do makeup. Although he's a gifted makeup artist. Is Along with everything else that he can no. do. Yeah, you know what Batman's like. <laughs> X-Men, concludes Chris. Again, didn't follow it. Did read a bit of X Factor, liked it. Although Scott Summers show did come off as a scumbag for leaving his family. What an ass. Thanks for the trip back to happier comic times, Chris. Well, you're very welcome, Chris. We're glad you enjoyed our, um... We didn't call it nothing but the 80s, did we? I think we just called it Hey Kids 1980, didn't we? Really? Yeah, I keep forgetting. I know Mark Taylor suggested it, so give your, uh, your plaudits to Mark for being the one that planted the seed in our head for doing that. And then... Our um, lack of ability to maintain any concentration said, you know, we've done all this crap before. Let's just concentrate on the same character for a year. Yeah. And see what happens. Can't do enough Batman. <laughs> you can never do enough Batman, which is why we've got Robin at 75 coming up. Oh, okay. Mm, 75 years of The Boy Wonder. All right. Two episodes all about Dick. Dick Grayson. Yeah. I didn't see the point of doing the others because they're not 75, are they? Oh. Uh, it's going to be know. a celebration of Dick Grayson. Two we, weeks. We could have done uh, two blonde show per Robin. We could still do that if you want to. I'm, but we're still open to changing. We've not. It's not pending yet. It's still penciled. Do you count Carrie Kelly? No. You know, we'd have to do one of the Dark Knights then. Yeah. To me, if you're going to do it, it's Dick Grayson, Jason Todd, uh, Tim, Drake. Tim Drake, and now Damien. What about? Uh, I'm not bothered about Stephanie Spoiler. Are you not? No. Stephanie Spoiler. Yeah, that's a name, isn't it? Yeah. Is that not a name? It's not like when this, it's like Noel Oasis and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Damon Blur. That's the actual names, isn't it? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Gary, Gary Elbow. Guy Elbow. Guy Elbow. That's I'm confusing him with Gary Tate that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Would you have Prince Prince as well? No, Prince is just Prince. Right, yeah. okay. Yeah. Like Madonna's just Madonna. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm open to your... These are all just things I've penciled in for, for upcoming. We have to celebrate Robin. And I kind of wanted to move away from Batman stories that, that have Robin in them. Right. So, so, so Batman, Batman Year 3 was off the table. Yeah. But So the stories that I've picked are Robin either with the Teen Titans, because mm-hmm. that's been in for ages, that's Teen Titans out that I want to cover. Nightwing. And Yeah, there's an issue of Nightwing in there, yes. And an issue of Birds of Prey and, and other stuff that I've penciled in for a couple of weeks to Batman celebrate Robin. Robin. No, no, no. Why not? No, no. Why not? Batman's in it. Is there an issue that you're doing that has only Robin in it that you're thinking of? Well, it's it's. Dick I'm not. I'm not saying we won't do a story that has Batman in it. It's very hard to do a Robin story that has Batman in it. It's Dick Grayson Batman. Mm-hmm. So since we're celebrating Dick, yeah, it still counts. <laughs> okay. I'm not. I'm, I am open. That's, that's my no prize. I am open to your input, but I've written down what I want to cover. Fair enough. 
Okay, so you can have a look at it and go yay or nay as, as you see fit. And we can maybe make it more than two. Maybe Robin... Maybe Dick deserves more okay. than that. That's more Dick. Right. More, well, maybe we should do more Dick. Yeah. This is now just wrong. More <laughs> Dick Grayson. We should call it Fifty Shades of Grayson. Somebody suggested that when we uh, previously covered some, some of that. And... Uh, and we never... When we did Prodigal, I think, yeah. somebody said we should have called it Fifty Shades of Grace. And we didn't, did we? We did not. And so we may take them up on that this time and call it Fifty Shades of Grace. And it'll all, it'll all be about Dick's many female conquests. Because you can have Starfire and Barbara Gordon and whoever that one was that raped him on a rooftop. Because that'll make for a fun show. <laughs> That'd be a light-hearted episode, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well done, Devin Grayson. Actually, I've never read that issue, so I don't know whether it's any good or not. Send me your hate mail, if you wish. Uh, my next present was off my mother-in-law. We spent all Christmas Day leafing through this, didn't we? Mm. It is the 75 Years of Cover Art Marvel Comics Darling Kingsley book. It's huge! It is a huge tome. Uh, as you may imagine from the title, it's all about the various different editors that have worked at Marvel over the years. <laughs> It's not a money kid. That would make for some interesting reading. It actually. would make for some interesting reading, but it's all about the uh, different covers to various Marvel comics. Wow. It starts in the Golden Age. Why the long face, Cap? Captain America looks very, very uh, long on that cover to all winners or all star winners or whatever that comic was called. It only devotes a couple of pages to that. Primarily, the big image that gets the show off, though, is, of course, Captain America punching Hitler. Because nobody ever gets bored of Captain America punching Hitler. Or anybody punching Hitler, mm. to be honest with you. I think that is... Uh, all Winners was the name of the book. It was All Winners number four was the one that Michael was looking at and going, wow, that's a really long face. The Statue of Liberty is also sticking a torch up something as well. But Captain America's... Uh, I do yeah, sometimes yeah. wonder what goes through their head when they're designing these comic covers. At no point does anyone ever notice that flame's going to be burning his testiculars, <laughs> do they? Nobody point that out. No. Either yeah. he's going to walk right into it. Yeah, which which could also be painful. Um, the blonde phantom gets a, a cover here. She was brought back by uh, John Byrne for She-Hulk. And then after about five or six pages, you're straight into the Silver Age. Obviously, a lot of them are predictable choices. Avengers 1, Avengers 4, Avengers 57... The Steranko stuff is all worthy of inclusion, which is here. I think the Hulk looks ten feet tall on the cover to Cap 110. And uh, that building's really not been reworked, is it? Now that the Hulk's destroyed it. But uh, it's nice to see different covers, like Incredible Hulk 109 and 118, the Hulk battling Submariner. And, of course, Steranko's cover to Hulk Annual number 1. It's nice when stuff like that get a look in, isn't it? Mm. And we only have one Iron Man cover. Do we? Yeah. Only one Iron Man cover. Yeah, Tales of Suspense number 39, which is Iron Man's first appearance. We get more later on as Adi Granov. Is that his name? Yeah. Because there's the Invincible Iron Man number 421 or 76. Hmm. Because it was that irritating time where Marvel was doing dual numbering on their covers. Talk about being wishy-washy. Yeah. Either be number 76 or be 421. You know. I'm just saying it's, it's kind of funny about all the covers they choose and they don't have the first appearance of the red and gold armour. They do not, no. Well, when we were looking through it on Christmas Day and uh, noting... I mean, all the Fantastic Four ones are all the ones you would expect. Kirby's collage cover from FF33 and The Coming of Galactus and If This Be Doomsday and This Man, This Monster. All worthy inclusions. But again, I think you're getting that here because they're important mm. rather than they are actually the best covers that Marvel have ever produced. Like you and I were saying, there's no spectacular Spider-Man, um, I think it's 101, the John Byrne Black and White Spider-Man one, yeah. which is a magnificent cover by any measure of a man. Um, Silver Surfer obviously gets one, three and four in. There's no denying that four and number one are classics. Number one has a good picture of my sister. Steranko's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. covers all get in, and it's, it's uh, particularly number six is, is very impressive, isn't it? Mm. Although you like the, the Salvador Dali-inspired number seven, don't you? I quite like all of them. All of Steranko's covers are very well done. I don't think there's any disputing Steranko was a, a master designer. I like the earth blowing up in the background. Yeah. It is an excellent cover, that. Spider-Man gets the usual suspects. Fancy 15, 1, 2, 3, 4, 9. You know, they're all Ditko classics. 
especially Strange Tales 146. And then the um, unused cover. And the unused cover to Amazing Fantasy 15. Obviously 33 gets in there, deservedly so. Then we turn to John Romita, 39. Again, deserved. I like it, and 50. But I like it when they give us ones like issue 59, Spider-Man punching a couple of people out behind the curtain as Mary Jane dances in the foreground. And issue 72, you know some offbeat choices. Mm. Not the, the usual suspects. With regards to X-Men, obviously Neil Adams and Jim Steranko again play a large part. The Avengers primarily focuses on John Buscema. John Buscema gets an awful lot of this, doesn't he? Yeah. I like the, the, the unused covers and the original art that they show. Yeah, they don't do that enough, do they? Mm. They don't do that enough in this. There's some nice George Perez covers, particularly Avengers 201, where uh, Jarvis is armed with a hoover. As the Avengers stand behind him, kind of smir- smirking a little bit, Jim Sterling. One of my favourites, the cover to Captain America 230. The Hulk punching the shield and Captain America behind it and it absorbing. I love that cover, and that's a great cover. You don't know, I don't think I've ever even read that comic. Yeah. I just think that's a great cover, that is. Cap quitting and chucking away the shield and the, the, the costume by John Romita Sr. Some of Paul Smith and Marshall Rogers' brilliant work on Doctor Strange. And then... Some more of the same. I see Iron Man. There you go. Iron Man gets some good covers. Iron Man one twenty five. That's a great cover. Tony Stark as James Bond. Yeah, this is years later though. Yeah, yeah. There's a demon in a bottle. Obviously, the first time he, he got the outer space armor. Then we get Kirby's return. Devil Dinosaur. A lot of Walt Simonson. Like I so, said, it's it's a good book, and uh, we really had a lot of fun leafing through it. Anyway, Alpha Flight three gets represented. Yeah, which is another black and white burn thing. Mobius on uh, Silver Mobius Surfer. Mobius on Silver Surfer. But they made a mistake. Did they? They attribute the cover to Uncanny X-Men 142 to John Byrne. And actually says, Byrne's skill as a master of layout. John Byrne didn't do that cover. Mm. Terry Austin did that on his own. So uh, I think that's an error that they they should mention. Another one of my favourites, though, Marvel 2 150. Thing versus The Thing, which we've covered. Yeah. We've covered that. Frank Miller comes along. For uh, a couple of Daredevil covers, most notably the one where they spell Electra wrong on the cover, <laughs> which is quite amusing. Frank Miller gets quite a few pages. Some of Howard the Duck's covers are great. Mm. I mean, uh, we've covered Howard the Duck when we did the 70s, but number 80, where he's, he's emerging through the um, the newspaper. Like that's what I was saying before I was interrupted by the fact that uh, they got one wrong. You like the magazine covers, don't you? Yeah, I do. Okay. But, yeah, I mean, it's nice. Nova 12 is an example of what Michael was talking about. They've got from sketch to finished art. Yeah, and I like how the only reason that's in is because John Pisama had them in the How to Draw Comics and Marvel way. Right, so that's just a reprint. Yeah. That's a bit of a shame. Barry Windsor Smith's Machine Man stuff uh, is the only place Barry Windsor Smith really gets represented. Because obviously most of his work was on Conan, yeah. and they can't put Conan in books like this anymore because they don't own the rights to it. Again, some, my favourite pages are like 124 and 125, where it represents Amazing Spider-Man 87, 96, 104, 112, all just great covers. Um, and the 131's in here as well, Doc Ock marrying Aunt May. Yeah. Come on! Gotta love that story. She inherited an island, dude. Yeah, yeah. She inherited an island that meet the Parkers own an island. Yeah, it blew up at the end. <laughs> but, you know, it's still there, wasn't it? And then, of course, there's the, the obvious choices. Amazing Spider-Man 129, 121 and 122 all get in. I prefer it when they do this. Have them all side by side. No, no, when it's not obvious covers. I think um, nothing can stop the juggernaut is... Kind of. An obvious cover. Yeah. It, well, it's a classic story. I love My favourite of this batch is uh, Amazing Spider Man 123 of Luke Cage punching the crap out of Spider on a rooftop. I like the Daredevil issue. The Daredevil 16, first appearance, first time Spider Man met Daredevil. With them against a photo. It, is it a photo? Uh, it doesn't look like a photo, but it is, it's very grey. Yeah. It is good. I'm mm. not I'm not saying it's not good. It, uh, it is really, really good. I wanted more Marvel fanfare covers. It's amazing going through this book. Yeah. How many of these issues have suddenly cropped up on the list of things to cover? Yeah, yeah. Just by going through this inspiration stroke. Bill Sienkiewicz gets one cover. 
Yeah. For all his great work on Moon Knight and New Mutants, he gets New Mutants number 18 he and gets bats it. two, actually. Does he? he Is there another Sinkevich one later on? Electra later on. Oh, right, yeah. Gets an Electra Assassin cover. Days of Future Past, obviously. Gets in the Professor Xavier's a jerk, which we've covered. Mm-hmm. Cover to that. Gets in the... Oh, yeah, he gets uh, Life, Death and Life, Death 2. Uh, Barry Windsor Smith. Oh no, I was Sinkevitz that we were talking about, weren't we? Yeah. One of the things that we were talking about when we were leafing through it is we've got more than halfway through the book and not seen any Todd McFarlane. Yeah. Oh, there's another one of my favourites, Captain America Annual Number 8, Wolverine vs. Cat. That's a brilliant cover. Alec 444. Do you? Yeah. Cap Shield just on the uh, on the, the, the stairs of the White House. Yeah. What do you like about that? I don't know, it's, just, it's the Lincoln Memorial, that, isn't it? Is it the Lincoln Memorial? It looks similar to it. Yeah, alright. Um, Captain America 454, which is a pastiche of Superman 75. Yeah. Which you pointed out. Mm-hmm. So, kudos to you. Uh, I love Captain America 32, Captain America with the Howlers. Yeah. Who stood on a, a jeep in the middle of World War II. And That's a great Captain cover. Captain America 1. Is, is good as well. Yeah, John Cassidy's Captain America 1. Yeah. And then you get a lot of Ed Brubecker 1. Um, yeah, there's no Todd McFarlane yet. No, no Rob Liffield well, yet. there we go. Until you get to page 178. And obviously get his, his obvious choices of Hulk 340, 345. And that's it. Yeah. Then it goes straight over to Dale Keown for various different Hulk covers and Gary Frank. And uh, the really, really good Mike Diodato one. Where he's, he's pushing through the wall. And then uh, McGinnis. Oh, and then this awful, awful page. Yeah. 191 has four covers from a mini-series that I knew nothing about called Hulk Thing Hard Knocks by uh, G.A. Lee. They are appalling covers yeah. by any stretch. The, I know that the panels, so each cover is kind of like a panel in the boot, but they're awful, aren't they? Uh, yeah, I, I'd usually defend G.A. Lee. But not here. Not here. The crap. That looks like he just could not be asked. Even the Hulk on that, that one. They don't look like... like the Hulk and the thing. No. Do they? They just look like ugly people, coloured orange and green. absolutely dreadful. Thankfully, it's offset by some of the covers to Hawkeye mm-hmm. by David Ager. You would have picked better choices than number four and number five. I would have, yeah. Which you don't like. But number one certainly deserves to, to be here, as does uh, number nine. Two of my favourites. And number eight. Video. What, eight and nine? Yeah. I like those too. I wasn't made up with number 11, the pizza dog issue. It's a nice cover. I uh, won like a ton of awards and stuff and I read it and thought, really? I think it was interesting storytelling. Yeah. Alan Davis gets a lot of Fantastic Four covers as we get later on Arthur Adams, a lot of painterly ones, absolutely fantastic Thor number one by John Romita Jr. of uh, Thor vs. Uh, the Destroyer. The painted Thor ones are, are good as well. Who were they by? Oh, I can't remember. He, he, did, he did work on the Straczynski stuff. Shall we have a look? We shall. We've gone past it. We have gone past it. So We're into more Iron Man. I do grammar than uh, extremists, though. Yeah, I think we've gone well past Way them. back uh, now. Is it way back? No, 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 no. I mean, you've gone way oh, back. Right. I've gone way back. This is fascinating part of the up now. Is it? Yeah, there yeah. you go. Marco Djurjevic. 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 Uh, yeah. And Isad Ribic. <clears throat> You like those painted covers, do you? Not so big on the Eastside Ribbit. Are you not? Alright, oh, okay. See, um, Gre- see Greg Land stuff. Greg Land gets a lot of flack for using porn stars. I can't imagine that he used a porn star for that cover of Iron Man, given that it's a baby. <laughs> but uh, I think Greg Land doesn't do bad covers, to be honest with you. Same with Greg Horn. Hmm. You know, I mean, it, it comes from the Milo Minera thing, doesn't it? That they're, they're cheesecake bad girl artists. Yeah. And you well, kind of like, if you're employing them, that's what you're going to get. I think Milo Monara gets an awful lot of flack because not everyone who gave that cover grief knew he was. Knew a, what he was. An artist and not a comic artist. A comics artist. artist. Yeah. And he is, if you look up his art on eBay, eBay on the internet, he's a great artist. Oh, yeah. Some of it's not safe for work, yeah. but he is nevertheless a fantastic artist. Jim Lee makes his first appearance on the cover to Fantastic Four number one. Not one of his X-Men books, although I presume that... That's later on. Alan Davis gets a lot of uh, play because of his fantastic Those are some really work, nice covers. Which the Inhumans miniseries by Jose Ladron. Yeah. Ladron. I've never seen any of his work before, but no. those are really nice. I don't even know what that series is, to be honest with you. Marvel's 
Obviously, Alex Ross gets represented by Marvels, Brian Hitch. Infinity Gauntlet number one's a great cover. Mm. George we counted Perez. how many panels are we on counted it. counted how many panels that uh, the magnificent George Perez. John Romita Jr. gets some of his best work in here. Yeah. Daredevil, the Man Without Fear, I think, is one of the best things he's worked on. His cover to Amazing Spider-Man number 43 is an undeniable classic. Spider-Man in the rain with the lightning in the background, a couple of his Wolverines. Obviously, Joe Cruzada gets represented quite well, thanks to Daredevil. And You're not um, a big fan of David Mack, are you? No, I really like David Mack. All right, who was it you didn't like? I don't know. Was it Alex Malik? No, I really like him as well. All right, it was someday around this that you didn't like. And Paolo I like, Rivera. I like how they have the two eras of Daredevil covers next to each other. You can tell when the fun started. Yeah, when Cazada came back. Oh, yeah. no, when Matt Wade took over. Yeah, they're all really depressing covers until you get to the Matt Wade run. Paolo Rivera and Marcos Marnon. Uh, and then the other side of Greg. No, that's Greg Horn, not Greg Land. Yeah. Which is an electric cover with her perfectly perpendicular breasts hmm. that's a bit off-putting <laughs> especially when you compare it next to Sinkevich's uh, Electra which is very she's got a lot of her on that Tim Bradsheet gets represented quite a lot Bradstreet sorry then you get a McFarlane Spider-Man section but even though not as much as I would have thought you would get a lot of Jake Scott Campbell's Spider-Man art makes it in nice to see some of the more recent stuff getting a look at that wasn't my favourite Amazing Spider-Man 700 cover no it wasn't the collage one it's, it's an impressive piece of work. I don't think it counts. But, it's a collage uh, of other people's work. But it's an interesting... And then Amazing Spider-Man 1 again, Alex Ross. Let's see. I mean, it actually seems to mention Amazing Spider-Man number 1 by Humberto Ramos in the recent series. Yeah. He actually mentions in the write-up it just may be a simple image of Spider-Man thringing through the city. Hmm. But it's the fact that it's the storyline, it's the return of Peter Parker. But he's kind of like saying, though, in reading between the lines, this isn't a good cover. Yeah. He? It's and, what it represents. Yeah, in a in a book that um, is supposedly Lottimore Barry Windsor Smith Wolverine, so I was wrong. There you go. Um, in a book that supposedly represents the cream of Marvel's crop in terms of covers, Jim Lee, finally, X-Men 268. And X-Men number one, obviously that's a double-page spread. Arthur Adams, Mike Mignola. In a, in a book that's supposedly representing... Frank, Frank Quitley, there you go. And Sylvester. Uh, the, the cream of the crop in terms of Marvel covers, it does seem there's an awful lot of uh, page, pages devoted to the X-Men mm. and painted covers of, from more recent vintage and maybe not quite enough classic from the Bronze Age 70s and 80s and not just great covers from the 60s. It's, uh, it's, still, it's a worthy boot though, especially seeing as I happen to know that they got it for significantly less than that cover price. <laughs> it was in the works for like nine ninety nine. Yeah. And I said to your mum, if you're going to get me a Christmas present, I'd have that. And obviously the mother-in-law was uh, duly dispatched to purchase that. So we uh, we very much appreciate it. What did you get, Mike? Uh, well, <laughs> I got volume one of the new Xena hardback reprints that spawned from the big pre-order only hardback collection that Grant Morrison is not a fan of he's not I don't know what he's like about the hardbacks but how much fuss kicked off over the uh, collection didn't it cause a rift between him and Steve Yeo it did which he was still quite bitter about when I met him right yeah I think you've mentioned this before Steve Yeo why is Grant Morrison not a fan of this being back in print does he not like it because it's something to do with uh, who owns the rights right and who should be I don't want to say who should be paid more than it, but I think it's along the lines of character rights and all that stuff. Right, because Zenith presumably is a Morrison Yule creation. Well, it's, it's 2000 AD, so if any of them own uh, it, it'll right, be both be two, of them. Or 2000 AD will own it. Yeah, yeah. It's either one or... It's either 2000 AD or Morrison and Yule. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Right. Um, which collects the entire first phase of it in, in its original form, which is weird as well. Because every couple of pages you've got, next issue! Yeah, you have um, a new little um, artist creator notes in it. Uh, well, would, would, this goes back to what we've talked about before about reprinting, where as a kid it bugged me. Yeah. As I learned more and more about comics, like I didn't mind it when I was reading Batman Pocketbook number two, mm. when I didn't know any different that they'd mooshed all of. Engelhart and Rogers' um, Batman together to make one cohesive story. Yeah. But as I got older, I was like, no, I don't like them editing it. <laughs> but now I've got older still, I've gone back to what I was as a kid, but actually, yeah. it works better in a collected edition if you cut some of that stuff. 
Yeah. So would you have preferred that they cut the credits off every individual story? No, no, it's it's nice having it collected in its original form. Because I mean, doesn't Steve Yule not draw them all? Or does he? He does, yeah. Right, okay. Um, so it's the covers that are by different artists? Yeah, because right. it was 2000 AD, so... Some early work from Steve Dillon, and who yeah. else was in there? Oh, I can't remember. Um, Bolland was in there, I think. Dave Gibbons. Dave Gibbons was in there. And, yeah, you'll have one page that's colour, and the rest of it's black and white. Because it was 2000 AD. And so if he got the strip that week, got the back cover, one yeah. page of it's in colour. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um... The interludes as well are all collected together at the back rather than in the story where they would have come. Right. So I'm not idea how that reads or if it's any different. And then at the back there's a, a cover gallery. Doesn't look like Steve Dillon, does it? Some of that stuff. Uh, this, this. See, I said that Dave Gibbons cover from 2000 I AD. I that was Bolland. Frog number 549 was Brian Bolland. Yeah, yeah, I thought. And then slowly you start seeing Steve Dillon evolve into Steve Dillon, don't you? Yeah. And then um, here are all the covers from the 2000 AD showcase. Quality comics mm. reprints. I think Scott's got all of them. Scott Allison. Yeah. Hi, Scott. <laughs> I think he bought all of them. Because he know. used to buy those 2000 AD reprints. That's where I first read all the Judge Dread. Yeah. In colour. Right. And then uh, Brendan McCarthy sketches, and it ends with Steve Yowell original sketches. Right. Yeah, I guess that was volume one of Zenith. It was. Should we do another email? Okay, okay. Because we've talked enough. Let's have. Let's let other people talk. It's Michael Bailey. Hey. Hello, Mikey. Might be. It's all about zero year, gentlemen. Let's broaden our minds. Lawrence Q. <laughs> Prince. <laughs> Aren't they all though? <laughs> Not a Prince fan. Gotta say. So I've been on a Batman kick lately. For whatever reason, it's hit me kind of hard, and I've been quantum leaping through my various books and reading from different time periods, all the while the current issues of Batman Detective and Batman and Robin piling up on the shelf. There was a time when that sort of piling up would have resulted in me dropping the books, but life experience has taught me that I will want to read them at some point, and it's just easier to buy them now than hunt for them later. This is all part of my soon-to-be-released self-help book, So You're Addicted to Comics, How to Deal with What is Essentially a Personality Disorder. Even as I was reading my books in a timely manner, I would have held off reading Zero Year until it was all out. Again, I've learned from my past reading experiences that long-form stories like this read better when it's all in front of me than reading them chapter by chapter. I realise that in certain cases this eliminates a key part of the reading process, i.e. the cliffhanger ending, and having to wait a whole 30 days until the next issue and how awesome that is. I miss that, but this is how things are working for me. This will all be part of my second self-help book. No, really, I'm addicted to comics. I'm not trying to be funny. This is a legitimate cry for help. I would buy both those books. Would you? Oh, yeah. I wonder if he'd ask me to invite, invite me to write a chapter. <laughs> if you could do the foreword. <laughs> yeah, I'd do the foreword. Anyway, I realised that a few months had gone by since the end of Zero Year, so I put these books into my reading rotation. Then I heard that you gents were going to be talking about it, and that kicked me in the ass enough to put it at the top of the stack. I'm glad I did. I have read the first four parts as of this email. But I'm enjoying the Batman origin more than any other origin I've seen and read in nearly 39 years of drawing breath. When I got done with the second chapter, I thought, wow, this is going to be my favourite version of Batman ever. And then dashed that thought because I have a tendency to embrace something as the best ever in the past and then realise I was just caught up in the moment. This is why I thought Heath Ledger was the best version of the Joker when clearly I was just liking that performance when I first saw it and I've since changed my mind. The reason why I'm leaning towards Zero Year being my favourite Batman origin is that it is hitting certain beats that I respond to as a fan. Thinking back to the more recent, being the last 20 or 30 years, versions of the backstory, I realised that while I liked huge sections of all of them, none of them really had me thinking this is how it should be at the end of the day. Untold Legend of the Batman distilled the Silver and Bronze Age Batman into three entertaining issues. The fact that John Byrne and Jim Aparo worked on the art didn't hurt either, but as much as I have a fondness for the origin, I wasn't reading comics at that time, so I look at it as something I like but don't connect to. Batman Year One is a great Jim Gordon story and fits into the Miller age of Batman that he started with Dark Knight Returns. But there are too many elements I dislike, such as Catwoman being a dominatrix and Gordon cheating on his wife. 
Batman Begins is the best of that film series and provided a solid origin for the movies, but in all honesty, the attempt to make it so realistic led me to not wanting to make this The Rock my Batman church was built upon. I like that. Good, uh, good way with the words. Snyder, holy crap, Snyder just nailed this. His Bruce is driven but unsure, and after a decade or so of Batman being five moves ahead, he can fight Darkseid, blah, blah, because he's awesome, blah, blah. It was nice to see a Bruce that hadn't figured it all out yet and was making a mess of it. The pacing of the story, the inclusion of the Red Hood gang, the fact that Red Hood is obviously the Joker, which means these two have been fighting for so long. The scene where he realises he must become a bat, the fact that this is Batman enjoying himself and isn't such a tight ass that he can't crack a joke. Alfred, everything about these first four issues had me grinning from ear to ear. The art has been amazing as well. Capullo is putting it in the back of the net issue after issue. If you would have told me for years ago that the guy who drew Spawn and X-Force back in the 90s was going to end up as one of my favourite Batman artists, I'd have thought you were crazy. To be fair, I'm not all that crazy about this initial bat costume, but that stems from the fact that I like my bat suit sleek and simple. All the detailing just doesn't appeal to me. To be fair, again, I love the nods to previous origins and that extends to the art, so I'm not complaining too much. To make a long story short, too late, I love this story, I love this origin, and I love both of you platonically for giving me the inspiration to read it sooner rather than later. Take care, Mikey might be. Well, we're glad you thoroughly enjoyed Zero Hour, because we did. And if I didn't say it enough on the show, that's my favourite origin. Yes. I think you may have mentioned that. I think, yeah, yeah. Once or twice in in the course of... uh, It's one of those things that's not changed as well. It's... Give it time. Solidified. Even more. Yeah. All right. Well, that's probably going to be your Batman origin, isn't it? Probably, yeah. I would imagine. Next is my present off my mum, which I was quite made up with, wasn't I? You were, yeah. I was quite made up with. Um... Just before Christmas, in an episode of Palace of Glittering Delights that you will hear soon, if you've not already, the Network DVD company, Network Video, released uh, a Space 1999 DVD as a teaser for the Season 2 Blu-ray. So I bought it because it wasn't that badly priced, just to see how, what it looked like. And I noticed while I was there that Network had reduced the price of the Blu-ray for Space 1999 to less than 15 quid. Mm. Just for, like, it's back up to 27 now. Yeah. So I don't know why they did it or what for. I swiftly sent the link to my mum and said, look, if you want to get me something for Christmas, this is a really good price. Yeah. I'll have this. I didn't expect her to buy it, mate. Mm. But she did! I have got the complete Blu-ray first season of Space 1999, which is a reason to buy a Blu-ray player. It is. Quite frankly. I watched the first episode, Breakaway, last night. I loved it. I don't know what you thought about it. Angela, it. Angela took herself off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, not the biggest fan in the world of 70s sci-fi, your mum, is she? No. No, and it's like this, anyway. She didn't mind I Am Legend and stuff like that. So she took herself off and I watched the first episode of Breakaway. Uh, I thought it was great. Hmm. I loved it. I liked Space 99. I'm not blind to the fact that it has many, many faults. Not least of which is they all talk like this, as if everything is important. And the costume's a little bit beige. A little bit. In many ways. And that big zip they've got on their arm, and the flurs. And all of that. The flurs were in fashion in 1999. Were they? Oh, yeah, Baggy came back in, didn't it? (laughs) Stone Roses and all that stuff. That was the early 90s, more than 99, but whatever. Uh, It's a lovely set. Like I said, I've I've only watched Breakaway so far, which is uh, the first episode, it's great. There's a lovely little booklet detailing the production of the series and the restoration of the episodes for this Blu-ray release. I'm hoping they're going to do this for UFO, because that would be magnificent. And then there's two full discs of special features at the end of it. I was made up with this. Just immerse myself in, in Space 1999, which is not a great show, I think it's fair to say. Yeah. But I like it. And sometimes that's good enough. And besides, who doesn't love an eagle? Who <laughs> doesn't love them? All the way, I was watching it, though. All the time I was watching it, I just imagined your mum at the side with models. Yeah. Toys. We used to have eagle toys, didn't we? Yeah. Everyone had an eagle. Yeah. I don't know where our eagle went. Scott, no, Scott's got an eagle. Hi, Scott. It's like I mentioned him, not you? Yeah. Scott, I, when we would go around to Scott's house, he'd have that box of toys for you to play with. Right, and okay. he, he had the, he still got his eagle. Right. I've not got mine anymore. I don't know where it is. So, you had your Buck Rogers ones. I'd still got my Buck Rogers ones, haven't I? You or have you one. got them? I don't know. But you had a little one. And I had the big one. And the big one. With yeah. the wings going and out. Yeah. Where are they? I would not know. Because uh, they're not on my shelf, which is where I normally keep my ties like that. Yeah, I still had the Buck Rogers ones until... I don't know. It could be anywhere. So Space Nights 99 on Blu-ray. How can you not love that? Mm-hmm. Quite frankly. Next was... I'm going to squeeze another two in. 
your mum bought me two big fat graphic novels, which you took great delight in pointing out are not the same size. <laughs> and you stand them up. So when you're going to put them on the shelf, they are not the same size. Your yeah. mum bought me the new versions of Bruce Wayne Murderer because it's a question mark yeah and Bruce Wayne Fugitive Bruce Wayne Murderer is much bigger than Bruce Wayne Fugitive it is surely, surely him murdering someone would take a lot less time than <laughs> being on the run well the actual murder probably takes place before the story begins I would imagine but I don't know I've only ever read The Ten Cent Adventure yeah which is what leads into this so I've never actually read Murderer or Fugitive and as with all of these you, you flick through them because I've not started reading it yet and some, because it's a, a bunch of different artists, the artistic changes sometimes gets a bit on your nerves. I mean, I love Scott McDaniel's stuff. I think his run on Batman is really great. Look some Brit Leonardi in here, which is always nice to see. But then some of the other stuff, it's just not as impressive, is it? It's the mm. only trouble with, with arcs, as they used to do them in the 90s. Yeah. You may not overly be fond of one particular, one artist. particular artist. But yeah, Bruce Wayne Murder and Bruce Wayne Fugitive, very much looking forward to reading that I don't have anything to say about it because I haven't read it what did you get Michael? well I got <laughs> volume 2 of the new reprints of Zenith yay yay there's not much to say about this other than what, exactly uh, the same as what we said about the first one it collects all the covers in the back this one mm. we were mean to Michael yeah yeah you, you I bought him volume 1 when we were at Thought Bubble and then I gave that to my mum to give to him for Christmas yeah and then when Angela's mum was casting around for presents for the kids for Christmas. We said, well, he'll have Zenith Volume 2. And she said, okay. So we sorted that out for her. But he saw Angela's mum before he saw my mum. So he got Volume 2 and was like, where's Volume 1? Yeah, yeah. So you were you were perplexed. You pulled the ruse tree. I did. I pulled a ruse on you. Very funny it was, too. Yeah. It was it <laughs> laughed. I laughed and laughed and laughed. Squeeze another email in. Patrick Kakoran emailed in also about Zero Year from Metro Detroit. We like that he comes. I like that he says where he is. More people yeah. can do that. <laughs> let's let's cast this net. Where do you all come from, lovely people? Oh, I'm not sure. Where are you writing the email from? Yeah, where are you writing the email from? Loved the Zero Hour talk, says Patrick. And we'll keep this email brief and succinct because my last few were, I fear, too rambling. Um, Patrick then tells us all about Pop Warner, which uh, another emailer has also done. We were still none the wiser mm-hmm. because our argument was it isn't that Clark can't control his powers, it's somebody running into Clark yeah, that yeah. he would have no control over is what could do the damage. Mm. That was my argument. It's not that I didn't think Clark could control what he was doing. I did. It's that he had no control over somebody coming in for a tackle, especially if he wasn't paying attention yeah. and that person caught him off guard. That per- it would be For that person, it would be like just throwing yourself pell-mell into a brick wall, wouldn't it? Yeah. And that guy's broke his neck. Mm. That's not Clark's fault, but if he wasn't playing football, it wouldn't have happened. That yeah. was my argument. Patrick continues, I agree with both that Zero Year is a gutsy and well-told reboot in the New 52 era and will rank high among other Batman stories, as well as the entire run of Snyder and Capullo. Michael, you are right that the Red Hood's facial features are drawn to measure that mirror that of the Jokers and leave little doubt they are one and the same. I've only listened to the first half, so apologies if this was addressed in part two, but would you have enjoyed this story as much if the first arc was told in the relaunch? For that matter, do you think it would have had as many reasons upset and mashing keyboards with bile if Court of Owls was not the first story out of the gate? There's some very interesting questions. What do you think? I do think a lot of it comes from when it was told. You think? Mm. Do you think Snyder grew in confidence as a writer and Capullo grew in confidence as an artist to get them to the point where they told that story? Oh, yeah. That and had they done it from the beginning, they yeah. wouldn't have had that level of confidence. That was, like, the peak of their run so far as both a writer and an artist. Yeah, but where do they go from here, though? I guess. <laughs> but also, on top of that, it's, um, it's part of the trilogy. Yeah. Um, well, the Batman Joker trilogy. Z- um, Zero Year is just as much of a Joker origin than it is Batman. Yeah. And it comes slap bang in the middle of Death of the Family and, and Endgame. Right. So it, it works that way as well, but also it references... It references Court of Owls. Yeah, it references everything we've had so far. Mm. And not only that, but if it was the first, yeah, I, I do think it would have gotten quite a lot of criticism, but because it earned its right as a Batman story and he earned... Capullo and Snyder earned their right to be Batman, uh, Batman creative team. They 
Um, the audience were more receptive to it yeah. at that point. So, um, yeah, yeah. Not only did they earn their right to retell Batman's origin, mm-hmm. but the audience were more open to it because we've already seen what they can do. Yeah, you see, yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I think as much as my wailing and gnashing that that's what they should have done from the beginning. They should have made a clear break instead of doing that namby-pamby, oh, well, five-year time, some of it counts. Battle before Frank Miller. All that stuff. Yeah. I think, ultimately, you are right that by waiting and doing it when they did it, they'd got to the point where, as readers, you trusted Snyder and Coppola. Yeah, and not only that, but... If they'd have done it right at the beginning, you wouldn't have been wanting it. You wouldn't have been wanting them to tell their origin mm. because they kept you waiting for so long. Yeah. And then you finally got it. Right. Yeah, okay. So, yeah. So, ultimately, we think they did it the right way. They'd earned the stripes by that point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Good question, that, Patrick. I like that. We don't normally do two emails from one person in the same show, but Chris Franklin emailed in just to say, I have a red zero year, but thanks to your glowing review and expert coverage, I will. Your enthusiasm for the series was palpable and your synopsis reading more gripping than usual. And that was you! Hey. He's saying you're better than me! <laughs> Not sure I like that. Seriously, you two should work for Graphic Audio. Oh, please, Graphic Audio, give us a job. <laughs> we would love to work for Graphic Audio and not do what we're doing. So thanks, Chris. We appreciate that immensely. What else did you get, Michael? Uh, i got several other things, actually. Well, talk, man, talk. Uh, I don't have the mommy now, though. I don't have it with me. Tell Jabba. Uh, I, I got Grand Theft Auto 5 on the PS4 as an early Christmas present. Yay! Yay. Who'd you get that? Uh, my girlfriend. Mention her. I, I got it from my girlfriend. <laughs> Uh, she also got me um, the Death Stench. Excuse the me? Of that. It's um, by the Japanese horror um, writer and artist. He does manga work. Oh, right. uh, He's a big horror guy. Um, inspired the likes of Del Toro and, of course, Hideo Kojima. Mm. Um, and this one's about um, fish that die and then they grow legs and they come into the shore, right? And then they kill people with how bad they smell. You like some weird stuff, dude. Yeah. Yeah, do you? Yeah. Uh, and I also got a PlayStation 1 console. I'm a bit late to the party. A PlayStation 1? Uh, where is it? I, it's still up there. Oh, right. Just got rid of my uh, NES and I'm finally moving on in the world. You're finally moving up to the PlayStation <laughs> 20 years one. too late, yeah. Yeah, but you've been made up with that. You could play that Metal Gear Solid game yeah. that you tortured me with for weeks. No, you have to play them in order, Dad. Well, you do, yeah. This is terrible! You can't play four without playing one. No, apparently, yeah. apparently not. And I got an inappropriate t-shirt that Dad won't let me wear. It's not an inappropriate <laughs> t-shirt I won't let you wear. I wouldn't let you wear it yesterday when we went to a family gathering. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you yourself covered it up when you saw a couple of kids walking past you with their mum. I didn't cover it up when a bunch of old ladies walked past me. Well, that's just you being naughty. <laughs> but you covered it up for the kids. I did. So. It's more of a college t-shirt, I think. Yeah, it's more of a pretentious college student t-shirt. It is, yeah. Yellow card t-shirt. Yeah. Anyway, my, my final gift. Oh, no, I got one little note. This was a little gag gift off my brother-in-law, which I quite liked. It was a 007 magazine. Yeah, you probably liked this more than you thought you would. Yeah, I did. It's, it was with the one celebrating the 25th anniversary of James Bond. came out just after Die Another Day. What's brilliant about this, not only does it have a great article on uh, the James Bond, the reprint of the Ian Fleming novels with the pulpy covers by, and the name is in the article somewhere... Roseanne, Sarah and Richie Fahey which are all the ones I've got aren't they yes. I love those covers the only one I'm missing is Moonraker the the newest editions from the Penguin US ones that's the only one I'm missing I think they're brilliant covers uh, and there's articles about Goldfinger because it was I think it was 30 or 40 at this point or something I don't remember and other stuff but what's remarkable about this is when it was published <laughs> the, the front page is a full page do- uh, shot of Pierce Brosnan this man is still James Bond and, and there's a big article in it. Go on. There still is underlined in red. Yeah. And there's a big article in it about how after Die Another Day, they yeah. had that pissing contest between the two of them that he wanted to do another one. They'd asked him to do another one. He was asking for more money. Quentin Tarantino had thrown his hat in the ring to do Casino Royale. And at this point... Tarantino like, and Bond. Yeah. At this point, it looked like Brosnan would be back for a fifth adventure. Yeah. Ultimately, that didn't pan out. It didn't. And ultimately, I think Eon were right to do that, because it wouldn't have been a James Bond film, would it? 
yeah. it would have been a Quentin Tarantino film. He could have done the the talking bits and the poker bits. Yeah, well, he wanted to make it much more faithful to the book. Yeah, and he probably would have done a good job with it. Mm. But Eon, he would have made, he would have made Baccarat interesting. He would have made Baccarat interesting, but Eon a very controlling of mm. Bond. Bond is the star. Yeah. And rightfully so. Tarantino would have overshadowed... Yeah, Tarantino would have overshadowed... It would have been a Quentin Tarantino film. Yeah. It wouldn't have been a James Bond film. So as interesting as it may have been to see Quentin Tarantino do Casino Royale, and had he done it with Brosnan, it would have been like the book. Mm. As I keep mentioning, the book to Casino Royale is not Bond's first mission as a double-O agent. It's his last... He's been put out to pasture in that book. Yeah. He's reached an age where all they can do... If you've not been killed in the field, you reach an age where all they can do with you is pension you off. Because yeah. you're not physically fit enough to be an agent anymore, but you know too much. Yeah. So they can't just let you go. And that's what Casino Royale's about. It's Bond one last hurrah. You know what they could have done? They could have had the Casino Royale we have now mm. with um, Piers Brosnan. But have it fl- uh, flash forward or flashback with Pierce Brosnan. Have it set in the present day, mm. where Bond is is Sean Connery, and he's on his last mission. Well, they wanted to bring Sean Connery back for Skyfall. They uh, wanted it is to have a cameo. Him. Yeah, but they wanted him to be the guy who, who runs the Skyfall house, didn't yeah. they? Yeah, Keith. that way you could have had both Brosnan and Sean Connery as Bond in the same film as the first and well, last mission. Well, I'll finish my point about this. Ultimately, I think they made the right decision. Because oh, yeah. it wouldn't have been a Quentin, a Bond film, it would have been a Quentin Tarantino film. And I think they are absolutely right in the ironclad protection of the character. Bond is the star, not the actor. The actor can be replaced every ten years or so, yeah. and the films continue forward. So they were absolutely right to do what they did. But it's interesting how certain this article was that Brosnan was going to carry on. Yeah. And even, I remember an interview with Judi Dench where she was like, yeah, Pierce will do another one. There's more pictures of Pierce Brosnan than there is actual words in the article. Well, what's interesting about those pictures, I didn't know how close he came to being Bond for the Living Daylights. Yeah. I mean, it's well known that he was the one they wanted to replace Roger Moore. Right. And at the last minute, he couldn't get out of his contract to Remington Steel, and so Timothy Dalton did it. Right. But there are actual pictures of him signing the contract and holding the Living Daylights script... And holding the clapperboard for the Living Daylights yeah. to start production. I didn't realise how close he was coming to getting it at that point. I knew he was, but it's kind of like the Tom Selleck Raise of the Lost Ark thing. Everyone knows the story, yeah. but you, you don't know how close he was to being Bond. And then at the last minute it fell through. So that's what's quite... It's, it's an interesting... I was more interested in this than perhaps I should have been. And certainly more than Danny thought I would be. Yeah. And there's a great article on soundtracks. You know, I love soundtracks. Mm. And um, John Barry's Bond scores are some of the best in the business. So it's interesting from that point of view that as of this, they were, they were absolutely sure he was going to carry on and do a fifth one. Yeah. And then ultimately Daniel Craig came in and Casino Royale happened. Mm. So that was quite interesting from that point of view. Which is one of the better moves they've made. Casino Royale's brilliant. It is. I've always liked watching Bond movies on a, on a bank holiday Monday. Doesn't everyone? Yeah, yeah, but I think <laughs> the Daniel Craig stuff is only when I got really interested. The Daniel Craig stuff's a step apart from everybody else. Yeah. You can kind of imagine the Sean Connery, Roger Moore stuff all happens in the same timeline, because yeah. Roger Moore was the same age as Sean Connery. Yeah. And they do the best to make the Roger Moore stuff seem the same, M's the same, until he died, obviously. Yeah. Money Penny's the same, Q's the same, all that. And even when you go into Dalton and... Brosnan Q remains the same. Yeah. So there's a certain argument can be made that this is all the same guy, but there's well, like what you were talking about is quite interesting. GoldenEye begins with a flashback to nine years ago, doesn't it? Yeah. Nine years before 1996 or 1995, whenever that film came out, he was Timothy Dalton. Yeah. So the flashback scene should have been Timothy Dalton, <laughs> which would have been quite amusing. It would have, yeah. And give Timothy Dalton his goodbye as well. Yeah. Which would have been quite funny, but probably confusing. Probably, For yeah. an audience to go, wait a minute, he's had a time lord, what's going on here? <laughs> so you just have to kind of accept that with the Bond films. But yeah, the, the, I love the Daniel Craig ones. Mm. I think the Daniel Craig ones are brilliant, especially Skyfall and Casino Royale. The, the realistic without letting that get in the way. Mm. 
there's still moments of bonding. Like yeah. in Skyfall, in the pre credit seats to Skyfall, where he jumps off that train that's been ripped to bits yeah. and fixes his cufflinks. Yeah, yeah. So bond. And I, I like the, um, the the naked women's return on the opening. On the credits. opening credits. Yes. Yeah, because we, we, we were all politically correct for a bit, we didn't do that. <laughs> and now we've, we've got to like screw it. Yeah, it's, it's James Bond, you have to. James Bond, dude! Yeah. Naked women in the opening credits, that's what it's all if about. We're about to go to war with Korea over the Bond script. I want naked <laughs> women in the opening credits. I don't credits. think we're going to war <laughs> over the Bond script. I don't think that they think Spectre is a is a ill ill advice. Can you imagine if Kim Jong was um... You think that Blofeld is gonna be a stand in for Kim Jong ill in Spectre? Yeah, yeah. Is that what you think? <laughs> Alright, fair enough. So my last present, my big present that my missus always gets me a lovely wife Angela always gets me a big present. And this year's big present was the Flash Omnibus. Oh, yes! This is huge. Mm, the Flash uh, and not uh, Jeff Johns' Flash. No, The Flash. The original Silver Age Flash, which isn't Jay Garrick, so he's not the original Flash. There is Jay Garrick in there, though, isn't there? There is. For some reason, if we open this up... See, I'm up to a story called The Master of Elements, and I've... Uh, uh, it's it's a typical omnibus. So it's big and fat and oversized. Uh, yeah, there's a Jay Garrick story in it from Flash Comic 104, February 1949, called The Rival Flash. Is that in because it's the last Jay Garrick story? Could be. Because Flash 105 from 1959 features Barry Allen, Conqueror from 8 million BC. And then Barry Allen makes his appearance in Showcase 4, 8, 13 and 14 mm. before spinning off into his own book, which they numbered after issue 104. Because yes. that's how comics were back then. They didn't launch it with the new number one. So the Flash debuted in Flash 105. Mm. So the Flash numbering carried on. So I, I think that's the only reason it's in here, because it's the last Jay Garrick story. And what's interesting about it, as the last Jay Garrick story, there's nothing in it to say that it's the last Jay Garrick story. It just yeah. ends, doesn't it? just ends as if next month there will be another Flash adventure. And there isn't. And it's a good little story. I really did enjoy it. But it's the Silver Age Flash stuff that we're here for. We've covered Mystery of the Human Thunderbolt mm-hmm. on the show when we did the 60s stuff. And I've carried on reading so far. I've read like the first 60, no, 90 odd pages, which covers stories with such wonderful titles as The Man Who Broke the Time Barrier, which is a great story. Yeah. Flash Breaking the Time Barrier. The Secret of the Empty Box, Coldest Man on Earth, Captain Cold, baby. Always nice. Around the World in 80 Minutes was great. Yeah. Around the World in 80 Minutes, he stops a bombing on the Eiffel Tower. Stops oh. a terrorist blowing up the Eiffel Tower. And you're just expecting Superman to be there going, but that's terrible. <laughs> that's why they call them terrorists, Ken. <laughs> so that's as far as I am. I haven't actually got as far as Flash comics. Oh, I've just opened it randomly on Flash of Two Worlds. So my understanding is that this is the first four volumes of the Flash Chronicles. They did Superman Chronicles, they did Batman Chronicles. There is a Superman omnibus which covers that, which also contains the first four Chronicles. So I I would assume that at some point there will be a Batman version as well. Yeah. And is it logical to assume these are replacing the archives? They could be, yeah. Because they're much cheaper. Yeah. This was, I looked it up, don't tell Angela. I looked it up and it was only something like 40 quid. Mm. On um, 40, 45 quid. Now, given that it's got a retail of $100. That's pretty decent for that's 40, yeah. actually not a bad, well, that's why I asked to get it, if it had been too expensive. I considered the Superman omnibus, but I've got the Chronicles. Yeah. So I didn't see the point of rebuying something I've already got. In terms of extras, it's not great, is it? It's no. not. It's not fantastic. There's an introduction. Um, explaining the hows and the whys and the creation of this version of The Flash by Paul Cooperberg and a foreword but they reprints? by Paul Levitz. Well, one says it's from 2002, one says it's from 1996. I don't mind them being reprints. Yeah, as long as they're relevant. As long as they're relevant and they're in here. Like when we, a couple of Christmases ago, she bought me the Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Neil Adams, Denny and Neil trade, didn't she? Yeah. And we did nothing but bitch and moan about the fact that there no context was given mm. in that. And they Tons of essays and articles on that. Yeah. Every time they reprinted that throughout the 80s, there was Denny O'Neill did introductions and Neil Adams talked about it and comics historians talked about how important it was mm. contextually to the comics world at that point and none of that was republished in that trade paperback. Yeah. So at least they give us something here to give you a reason of where Barry Allen came from and why they got rid of Jay Garrick and all of that stuff. But more would have been nice. You're never happy, are you? <laughs> no. there's, there's got to be a lot of stuff on the Silver Age Flash. Yeah, I guess. That they could have included in this. But the stories are fun. So far, they're fun little ten-page sci-fi romps. I guess that's the difference between omnibuses and uh, absolutes, though. And archives. The archives have 
did. Well, could they not? Have they done flash archives of Barry Allen? No idea. Because presumably they could just rip the intros, introductions from them. Yeah. But even then as well, you get the new omnibuses, say, you know, the ones I've got. Yeah. Like 52, Infinite Crisis, Invis- Invisibles. Still all have tons of extras in. Yeah. So maybe it's just if they still have them lying around the DC offices. Yeah, they've still got all that stuff somewhere. They should be more like Jack Kirby's Fourth World omnibuses. Yeah, yeah. With all that intro and text and... Uh, pencil art and all that. I mean I don't know if any pencil art from this era exists but anyway certainly for that price mm. a, a worthy addition to the bookshelf I have no idea where on the bookshelf <laughs> it's going to go because I don't have any room left time to buy new bookshelves yeah, I think yeah. is the moral of this story so I'm really looking forward to tearing through that I'm especially looking forward to Bruce Wayne Murder and Fugitive because I've been wanting to read that for a while to the point where I almost decided to just start delving through the back issue bins and finding the individual issues, but I couldn't be bothered. How many hints did I drop your mum about that? Uh, Bruce Wayne murder? Yeah. Bruce Wayne I, I, I don't think they were hints. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd have been happy with just that, to be honest. But the Flash Omnibus was uh, was nice as well. Did you get anything else? Uh, I don't think I did. Do we have to do another one when your, your game arrives? In five months. Yeah, so we don't seem like we're really cheap and didn't buy our son any present. <laughs> it's just an empty box. Well, I've got a, I've got a holiday coming up. So. <laughs> That's very true. Next time on an all-new episode of Hey Kids Comics, we're back to normal after a Christmas that has seen us record episodes wildly out of sequence. Yeah. So we don't actually know where we are or who we are or what we're doing anymore. I'm very confuzzled. And I'm exceptionally confuzzled. I'll leave the time stuff to you. Yeah, you, you leave me. Yes, yes I do. <laughs> so next time we are beginning our countdown to covering JLA Avengers, or Avengers JLA, depending on which side of the fence you sit on, by Kurt Busiek and George Perez, with two weeks of looking at intercompany crossovers between characters. Next time it's Superman meets the Hulk and Batman meets Judge Dredd. Mm-hmm. Classics at all. Yes. Well, maybe not all. Maybe a few. Maybe not classics. <laughs> Who knows? We'll see you next week. Thank you very much for joining us. Goodbye. Goodbye. Hey Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Find Work for Idle Hands to Do production. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review and illustrative purposes only. And no infringement is intended, so don't send your phalanx of highly paid lawyers after us as we have no money. Certainly this show is not turned into a lucrative revenue stream as no money is made from this either, which vexes us. The opinions of Michael and Andrew expressed in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and no one else. They own them, cherish them, and look after them, but are probably not to be taken too seriously. New episodes drop every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com, and Hey Kids Comics is a part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, and we can be emailed directly at heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We can also be friended on Facebook by using Hey Kids, all one word as the first name, and Comics as the surname. We do hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics.